Welcome back, everybody, to Black Hoodie Alchemy. I'm your host, Anthony Tyler, and I appreciate anybody joining me again. If you're a new listener, welcome, welcome. And if you've ever wondered how smoking an inordinate amount of methamphetamine might help your magical disciplines, you've come to the right show. You know, it's... It's, uh, it's a wonder what a little bit of excommunication from the Mormon church and a ton of meth can do for your creativity and your problem solving and your work ethic and your views of your own metaphysical capability. It's awesome. Yeah, if you don't want to put in any work at all and you just want to feel great and really, really confident in your spell casting and your connection to God, meth is for you. It's going to be awesome. I highly recommend it, but only if you want those things. If you want to be like a regular person that has any sort of semblance of normalcy and um, integrity and discipline, maybe don't smoke meth and read a bunch of half-baked metaphysical um, philosophy, but, you know, that's just me. No, that, and that's not super random either. Um, actually, we're going to talk about all this today uh, by investigating the wannabe, sad, pathetic, children of thunder, half-ass cult. And I say all that because this cult really um, subsisted of the leader, Mr. Glenn Taylor Helzer, um, who inspired this wonderful intro of uh, methamphetamine and awesomeness. Um, And then there was his brother and his brother's girlfriend and uh, one chick and then another chick. So there's like four of them total, not to mention everyone that was hanging out in their flop house. So if you count all those flop house members, I guess they maybe had a little more, but really not anything to shout about compared to someone like Manson or Jones. Um, in fact, this story more than others is going to be one of, aside from the end, because it will get dark, um, it's pretty hilarious at times. So strap in, this is going to be absolutely nuts, and it's going to be a little less dark than last episode. So um, maybe a tiny bit of a palate cleanser for some of you. And real quick, before we jump into the Children of Thunder wannabe half-ass cult, um, I'm going to get some introduction type things out of the way. Again, special thank you to my homie Duncan Schuler for uh, creating this wonderful, wonderful intro song for the show. I friggin' love it. And you can go check out some of his work. He is a producer. You can go check out his material. Uh, new Voodoo. I pronounced it New View Do uh, last episode because uh, I was in a rush and I forgot to ask him how to pronounce it. It's New Voodoo, but it's N E U N E W. Look at me go. Um, v E W D E W. Let's see what else. Yeah, um, this isn't going to be an exclusively true crime radio show or podcast, uh, but it's going to be true crime heavy at times, uh, most definitely. And I find cults particularly fascinating in the worst ways, um, like cautionary tale sorts of ways, because they are sort of the crossroads of metaphysical ideas, good and bad, uh, true crime, like existential horror, even psychedelics a lot of the times, almost everything that I'm interested in kind of coalesces in a very morbid way. And, you know, in the same way that we have like parables and stories to explain 
or to help us relate to morality and ethics. Um, I think that these stories in the opposite way help us relate to morality and ethics, essentially. But again, in the opposite ways. Um, cautionary tales. So, see, the next few episodes, I might do one or two true crime-ish episodes, and then after that, uh, we're going to switch gears a little bit so we don't burn all those cards, and we're going to get into uh, some more philosophical, metaphysical type stuff. We're going to keep it dark and weird, because that's just how we do things here. All right. So the Children of Thunder, Glenn Taylor Helzer. Let's talk about it here. And to set the stage, we're going to talk first about his 12 principles of magic. This meth-addled maniac left the Mormon church, um, thought that he would be able to uh, essentially take over um, the Latter-day Saint church leadership and um, become like the the ruler of all Mormons, um, and then uh, and then take over like Utah and turn that into a nation state. And so this guy had very practical goals, um, and he came up with the twelve principles of magic. And this is what he spouted to all of the people snorting meth and ecstasy at his flop house. Um, number one, I am already perfect and therefore can do nothing wrong. Number two. There is no such thing as right and wrong. Alright, it's already tracking very well so far. Number three. I am all-powerful and therefore the creator of and accountable for everything that occurs in my life. This doesn't sound like meth at all. Number four. Life is always right. I embrace all of my results. And you can see that some of this is like 20% couched in reasonable logic and then it just goes completely off the rails. Um, number five. All of my results I have created to learn from at some level. Okay, fair enough. Number six. I know nothing. I believe nothing. I simply perceive without fear. Um. <laughs> wow. How fearless. Uh, number seven. It is of no concern to me how accurate or inaccurate my perceptions are, and therefore I am always right. And, and never inconvenienced either, I must say. Uh, number eight. Unconditional fearless love is the most powerful force in the universe. Okay. Number nine, spirit knows. Okay. Number ten, I gain total control by losing all control. Awesome. Number eleven, life is such a precious gift, and when I give back to life, immediately life gives more back to me, and therefore I am forever in debt. What goes around comes around. And a bunch of other things I have to list so I don't just put one single word, karma, and make it all extremely easier for everyone to understand. Um, number 12. There is a higher power than mine, and that is my Savior, Jesus Christ, the Son of my Father. You know, if anything, meth gets you closer to Jesus. Um, okay. Yeah. What would you guys think of that? Sounds reasonable, right? All right. <clears throat> So before we get um, a little more into the story, I also have a little bit more of a preface. I want to give a shout out to my homies, uh, Luke, Levi, especially, and also Dakota, Kendall, and good old Sip. I miss having the bonfires with you guys, and the reason for any other listeners that I bring these gentlemen up is because, so while I was living in California about a year and a half or so, I spent some time in Walnut Creek, California like an hour-ish, depending on traffic outside of San Francisco. And 
started looking, I, I'd always been interested in true crime, but I was kind of getting back into it a little more to help diffuse from some of the metaphysical I, uh, research I was doing and stuff. Um, and I came across this, uh, this cult, and I thought they were really interesting because of like the Mormonism and meth. And, but then I realized that, um, the, the cult had essentially been started in Walnut Creek. And when they weren't in Walnut Creek, they were in um, Concord, right next to Walnut Creek. They were in Martinez. They were in, like, every single surrounding area that these people are in throughout this story is basically the the, the cities and towns I was working in, like, every day for a year uh, doing doing landscaping and some other stuff. So that was pretty weird in and of itself. And, like, wow, what a synchronicity because truly um, I had was not looking at their their location at all um i just thought the name sounded fun and that the story sounded outrageous and then it doesn't stop there <clears throat> the only people i happen to know in the area are actually people that grew up in the same town as taylor helzer grew up yeah yeah so they actually knew him uh luke and levi um, at one point in time, went to the same church as him. And no, they did not grow up as crazy as he did. And they are two of the coolest dudes. Everybody, Luke, Levi, Dakota, Sip, Kendall. I miss you guys. You guys are great dudes. But uh, okay, so that was crazy. That was absolutely nuts. So I actually know people who weren't like good friends with him, but they knew his family, they knew him, they saw him drive around the neighborhood growing up, because he was a little older than them, and they verified that he was absolutely insane, most definitely. So, Glenn Taylor Helzer, born in uh, 1970, um, he committed his five-victim spree murder in 2000, and, uh, and that started at the end of July, and he was apprehended by the beginning of August 2000. He's imprisoned with multiple life sentences in San Quentin State Prison to this day. And he was raised in a very, very devout Mormon family and was groomed from an early age to essentially consider himself like a uh, Joseph Smith 2.0. Um, everyone in his local community thought that he had a great sense of leadership and that he would do great things. His parents and his family uh, looked up to him in many ways. They saw him as this spiritual leader in training. And um, Taylor fit that role quite well, at least at first. Um, whether or not he should have... He definitely should not have been given that role at such a young age, but he was. And he it did seem to suit him, at least initially. And um, yeah, Taylor was um, consistently looked up to and was celebrated by the people in his community. I mean, not like, it wasn't like constantly like Rudy, like on the shoulders of the Notre Dame football team, but he was definitely a thing. We could put it like that. Um, you know, after a while, after uh, all this pressure, Taylor starts growing up a little more. He starts getting into puberty, having sinful thoughts, and he starts wondering how much of his spiritual intuitions might come from God or might be coming from the devil. He doesn't really know because some of these thoughts seem very sinful um, and he doesn't know how to get rid of them. So moves on and on. And he's basically as um, 
adulthood, the tricklings of adulthood start to work their way into his life, he becomes less and less adjusted. And he goes, when he becomes of age, on a missionary trip to Brazil. And slowly but surely, he starts to tip over the edge more and more. And he starts having much more eccentric ideas of of uh, the Mormon offshoot Christian idea. It starts to get further and further out there, and he starts to argue with with leadership more and more. But you know they haven't kicked him out or anything yet. In fact, let me back it up just a tiny bit and um, articulate the fact that. Taylor's family was extremely Joseph Smith 2.0. Like when you look into the history of Smith's family, you find that they were, you know, very much into divination and using um, like stones to find treasure, you know, like crystal ball type shit. And they were very much, the Smiths knew what they were doing. All of them. I don't think any of them believed their own stories. I think what they believed, having looked into the Mormon religion, and I'm also not Mormon bashing either, nor am I Christian bashing or anything else. I just shoot it straight. Okay, so believe what you want to believe, and uh, we can agree to disagree on certain things. Like, I can, I'm more than willing to admit that you get actual benefit out of your beliefs through morality and ethics and your perceptions of metaphysics. Um, But... I also have to toe the line that I see and say that there's absolutely just there's I'm just going to be candid there is such little historical evidence for anything that Mormons talk about whether it be the origins of humanity or their beliefs or uh, uh, Joseph Smith's claims it's all just so laughable it doesn't make any sense it sounds like a Dr. Seuss story a lot of the time and I can't believe people fell for it. So sorry, Mormons. I, I I like you individually most of the time, um, and I but I don't like your religion just like I don't like most religions. Um, so, and that's not to say I hate religions either. I don't like the organization of them. I think that uh, I'm a mystic, right? So I think that these things are highly personal, and that you can choose to share them if you like. But once you start involving the the core principles of your faith and like practice with a priest in a in a, a building, it starts to lose credibility to me. Especially when you start tithing. Um what a load of bullshit telling people that they can they can get more if they just give ten percent of their paychecks to some greedy old bastard that um has a closer connection to God than they do. Are you are you kidding me? So and um um the Helzer family, Grandpa Helzer actually was known he so Mormons have eccentric beliefs in general clearly and um, Helzer Grandpa Helzer was known for being the eccentric version of the eccentric Mormon and he told the story often one that uh, little Taylor was very fond of about how he saw he actually saw flesh and blood Jesus on his front lawn and had a conversation with him for something like two hours yeah so that's kind of weird. Not like a vision either. Like evidently, the guy was very emphatic about the fact that Jesus, excuse me, Jesus incarnated for a period of time to talk to him. Although I'm not really sure what they talked about. Um, 
so as time went on, Taylor comes back from he you know he goes on his mission to Brazil, which will become very influential for him in not good ways. And when he comes back, he eventually, you know, he kind of fall. He's not excommunicated from the Mormon Church, but he falls out a little bit, um, and he gets married, and he becomes a stockbroker. So things are going well, and um, but he starts having a mental break slowly, more and more. He starts realizing how much he missed out on being a prized Mormon leader in training. And basically what he missed out on was a whole lot of awesome internet porn. Not joking. And um, this Mormon dude that was, you know, poised to be a great um, leader in the community is now just binge-watching TV and porn and doing his husbandly duties when he needs to. Um, and often not even doing them then so his wife's feeling very neglected they do have a daughter now they end up having two daughters um whom taylor does not have much involvement with it gets to the point where they go to uh they go to counseling and taylor eventually tells the uh the marriage counselor that the only way he's really going so he feels like his wife cheated him because she's not sexually adventurous um and he thinks that the only way that he can achieve or like fix this problem essentially is if he goes to Brazil and interviews I can't remember all the numbers but I'm not exaggerating I might just be off give or take when he says like he wants to recruit like a hundred women through an interview process to to uh to sleep with them so that they can go through like a hundred um um what's the word I'm looking for uh, like a hundred contestant bachelor game show and then at the end of it, after like all these like rounds of like elimination, um, he finds like a dozen or so Brazilian women to sign multi-year contracts or at least a year-long contract just to sleep with him. And he tells this to his wife and the therapist. This guy is is uh, all there for sure. And, um, and so that's just the beginning, you know, so eventually this thing collapses, his, his marriage collapses, his stockbroker, he doesn't want to work anymore. So he comes up with a, a scam to get medical disability. And then, um, he starts, um, he eventually is excommunicated finally, because he's smoking a lot of meth now, because that's what happens. You know, you get into some weed and then you get into some meth. Um, no, but he was smoking weed also and drinking and taking ecstasy and he was selling ecstasy at raves. So he was a very cool guy. Um, and, and then he gets his brother Justin involved a bit more. Justin's always been interested in what his brother Taylor's doing and finds that he has a great bit to learn from Taylor. So we have the Helsers, especially Taylor, at this point in his life where... The former life he has had is definitely no longer, and he is at this major transitional period. And it's at this point that I'd like to say, this is what I'm talking about with my prior episodes, especially the first one, where, you know, and I'm not talking about anybody's specific God here. I'm talking about God, the symbol of God as the arch good, and then the symbol of the devil as arch evil. Um, so in the sense of God as, as arch good, a lot of the times, this is where the evil comes from. I'm not saying that, um, you know, good and evil are irrelevant, but I'm saying the balance here, 
I'm all about that Buddhist middle path, because that's what seems to hold up the most, time and time again. Too much God, what that equals on a practical human level is entitlement, narcissism, um, a, 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 basically a messiah complex in many cases. And when you look into the history of cults in the West, in, in just in general, but especially in the West, where the, the idea of God is more classicalized and monotheistic, um, we find that far more often than not, God is used to create the cults that do the most evil. Very rarely is Satan used as a flagship for cults. But what people do is they end up, again, with the symbols of God and the devil, arch good and arch evil, they end up using God to mask the devil. So I think that someone like a Christian or a Mormon uh, might recognize that, might say that, oh yes, I, of course I know that God is... Um, uh, you know, people use God for nefarious things, but that's really the devil. But they don't take the inner reflection. You know, they may see someone else doing that, but when they look at themselves, they feel perfectly fine putting themselves on a pedestal because they follow the tenets of God and other people are are heathenous and, you know, just um, hedonistic. And I really don't like those double standards. You know, if you have a very strong Christian belief or something like Mormons, since we're talking about that today, um, I'm not saying that you should start worshiping the devil. I'm saying what you should do is start considering how godly uh, some of your beliefs might really be. You know, because if we just become full of quote unquote God's love and, oh, God's made me perfect and. I have a special relationship with God. These are all regular things. Maybe not that God's made me perfect, um, but God's made me perfect in his own way. You know, all these Christianly things that people say, it all just depends on the intention and the context because a lot of those things could sound very, very uh, mentally ill, essentially. And they're all going to sound very, very mentally ill, and they're going to lead to some terrible, traumatic things in this story. I'm not just talking shit here. This is what happens in this story. This kid is groomed to become some sort of devout Joel Osteen Mormon bullshit, and he becomes one of the weirdest, drugged-out cult leader wannabes in modern history. All right, And if you don't think that there's a correlation there, then I don't know what to tell you. Because there is. Because it's not just in this story, it's in all these stories. It's in damn near every single one of these stories. You know, if if someone wasn't abused to hell and back, then they were done like this. And they were made basically the equivalent of some spiritual trust fund brat. You know, this, this kid didn't have a ton of money, but what he did is he had his... Um, spiritual ego and his spiritual capabilities and beliefs in himself fill his cup overfloweth from the very beginning and it led to some yeah let's let's talk about it some more so he's definitely in the middle of a mental breakdown now and he starts going to these you know like group training seminars where they deal with like stress management and making you a better person you know some of these places are meditative some of these places are 
you know, whatever, like Tony Robbins type shit. And, um, he, but this one is about trauma specifically. It's about going through like a boot camp thing where you're screaming and yelling at everyone and like you you allow people to figure out some of like your darkest secrets so that they can use it as ammunition. So and it's supposed to be like a cleanse thing where everyone's letting it out of their system and you're learning to toughen your skin and um um the on and on. Like but it's it's insane. It's trauma bonding. And it's um you know, clearly the only reason you feel better coming out of it is because you were just put through a traumatic experience and that experience is over. So it's it's not like you're they're unlocking some secret here. But Taylor loves it, and so does his brother, and they start bringing all their Flophouse members here, uh, any that w- are willing to come. And Taylor starts bringing some ladies because, again, he's, like, really methed out at this point, but he still has enough charisma to... Um, keep some, keep some ladies around that are probably looking for a little bit of a fixer-upper. You know, they want a little bit of adventure, and they think Taylor's fun and cool, and doesn't, you know, plays by his own rules, and he hasn't lost all his teeth yet, so that's nice. Um, so, and he actually, he picks up a waitress that becomes his longtime girlfriend, who actually becomes a Playboy bunny. So how about that? And she's gone to some of these trauma bonding seminars as well. And this is kind of like the cult initiation. Taylor outsources his cult hazing and initiating. And they always go to this place. But once they're done, he's got them right where he wants them. And he also ends up recruiting this woman called Dawn, who's had a very traumatic past and ends up becoming one of the most steadfast cult members that Taylor will ever have. And ends up becoming the girlfriend of his brother, Justin. And... Taylor doesn't have very much of um, a good standing reputation with his family so much, nor the the local church community, and has actually been kicked out of church parking lots at this point for trying to recruit other Mormons into his Mormon offshoot. And this is also around the time when he starts coming up with his Brazilian orphan assassin idea. Yeah, not kidding about that either. And um, he basically, long story short actually puts a good amount of like thought and attention into this idea that never even gets close to off the ground um, of going back to Brazil to abduct children so that he can turn them into some sort of Manchurian candidate uh, elite assassins so that they can um, take over the Mormon church and help him form his nation state and that's something that kind of sticks with him for a while and then um, um, kind of becomes that combined with his bachelor game show uh, plan strategy uh, become the the seeds of many of his great plans from there which all have to do with this like he just really wants to be the ex-Mormon methed out Aleister Crowley like I said he just wants a harem of women to sleep with him whenever he wants, and to sleep with other people to give him money whenever he wants. And he's really convinced that he can get a lot of women to do this, but he never gets a single one. He spends years on different iterations of these plans. And, again, like I said at the beginning of the show, if you want to skip all these steps required to feel 
uh, capable in yourself at all or to have like a healthy amount of self-esteem in proportion to the world around you and the things you've done um, and just like all the things that are required to be a healthy human being regardless of whether or not you're into metaphysics or philosophy if you want to skip all those things just smoke a bunch of meth it's a real easy step and it's fun too it's really fun from what I hear <laughs> no honestly I've I tried uh, my share of drugs, and meth is not one that I've tried. Adderall's close enough. I mean, that's all you really need if you want to try it a little bit. <laughs> um, so, oh, and you know what? We're about to step into the break. So think about that Brazilian orphan assassin thing. And when we come back, we'll uh, we'll talk about some of more of his outrageous plans, and then the plan that actually led to a spree killing. This is Black Hoodie Alchemy. I'm Anthony Tyler. Stay with me. We'll be right back. Thousands of people are having paranormal experiences with ghosts, demons, shadow people, dogmen, Bigfoot, and more. Their stories need to be told, and they are being told. Dark Waters, the renowned storyteller, invites you to join at imdarkwaters.com for just a few dollars a month you can listen to some of the most hair-raising and compelling stories on the planet you'll have access to real-life stories told by dark waters thousands of hours of content their encounters are being told and told by the best at imdarkwaters.com listen to stories like the rabbit man the dog man encounter in silas alabama the man with no face the other woman a day ahead of the devil, dogman murder in Hurricane Ida, even a story of someone trying to kill a dogman, Louisiana water demon stories. Sign up today and become a member at imdarkwaters.com. That's imdarkwaters.com. The Natural Born Alchemist podcast is a podcast that covers topics like alchemy, shamanism, psychedelics, anarchism, and philosophy. Join Alex, that's me, and a multitude of guests on a quest to discover the nature of reality, of spirit, and of consciousness. Each episode will also introduce you to new music that you might never have heard before. You can find the podcast on most platforms. Simply search for Natural Born Alchemist or go directly to naturalbornalchemist.com. There you'll be able to find all the social media links as well. Freedom is in the mind. Do you want to escape the simulation? Well, join me, Jess Rogie, every week as we explore a variety of different realities to help expand our minds and find out a little more about this world we live in. Escape the simulation with me live every Wednesday at 5 p.m. Pacific, 8 p.m. Eastern here on TheFringe.fm. Listen, as we explore the mysteries of the universe, the unknown. High strangeness, consciousness, and our human potential. Lighting the Void is an eclectic program that strives to ignite the late night with stimulating conversations. Join us on The Fringe FM.
From parapsychology to pop conspiracy, and from parapolitics to health and esoterica, I'm Ryan Gable, host of The Secret Teachings, and I'll bring you all of this and more five nights a week right here on The Fringe FM. By using critical thinking and objectivity as keys to understanding, utilizing, and appreciating the secret teachings of all ages. You can catch The Secret Teachings Monday through Friday right here on The Fringe FM after Joe Rook and Lighting the Void. Musicians experience a lot of frustration with music marketing and promotion. They have no idea how to get their music heard. And they're spending hours sending emails, making phone calls, and hitting up their friends to promote them. With our industry-powered digital marketing platform, we can set up your media plan in minutes. Our team will automatically distribute your music across all the best channels, so you can focus on actually making the music. Submit your music today on our website at mymusicpromoter.com. That's mymusicpromoter.com. Hey everybody, this is Anthony Tyler, and I wanted to take a little bit of time to show you my homie Duncan's work. New Voodoo, N-E-W-V-E-W-D-E-W. This is a track called Typhoon. It's some low-key, smooth beats. Um, A very ambient track that I very much enjoy, and you should check it out. I hope you dig it. Black Hoodie Alchemy. I'm your host, Anthony Tyler, and we are talking about the wannabe half-ass cult in Walnut Creek area, California, the Children of Thunder. And before the break, we were talking about how Taylor Helzer, the the, the charismatic, meth-addled cult leader here, 
is trying to work on his recruitment. He's trying to work on his brainstorms to start bringing more money in, but none of it's really landing because he just can't really get over the hurdle of um, getting Brazilian people in the mix for his own personal benefit, um, which involves lots of sex and maybe a little bit of drugs as well, and not really any coherent methodology or systemic planning. There's, there's none of that, really. It's just a bunch of, hey, wouldn't this be a great idea? Give me some more meth, please. So at this point, he's got a handful of members. He's got his brother, he's got his brother's girlfriend, and his soon-to-be Playboy Bunny girlfriend is no longer his girlfriend. She's left, but they end up bringing into the fold uh, some really, really wild out there new-age hippie witch chick that's his brother's girlfriend's friend. And she just adds a whole bunch of spell casting and love potions and um, ages of zodiacal signs. And, you know, not to say that all of that, is, you know, that can be fun. But again, when it's involved with all these other things we've talked about, it's just not going to be a good combination. None of this is going to end well. So she's in the mix now, and they have a lot more. You know, that combined with Helzer's great 12 principles of magic is just is um just great right it's just just lovely so from here they start getting they, they finally taylor comes up with this plan and he's well i've been a stockbroker in the past and i know a lot of people and i've handled a lot of wealthy people's money for them in the past so how about i pretend that i'm still put together and i go to one of these people's houses with some sort of stockbroking proposition. Oh, uh, let me put your assets in here. Let's talk about your por- portfolios, whatever. And I'll show up with a bottle of wine. I'll say that there's some sort of celebration. I just did a deal or something, and we'll, you know, we'll kidnap them. We'll get them to sign a bunch of their money over to us in their handwriting, um, which won't raise any eyebrows since that happened right before an abduction and murder, but, you know, meth. So, and then, of course, they're going to kill them. So, and there's also, like, a scheme that he comes up with before that where he wants to hire a bunch of underaged women to whom he would train to learn how to... He would train them so that they knew how to have sex. That was part of the plan. And then he would get them to go open up um, like some accounts with some stockbrokers and um, get them the stockbrokers to sleep with them and then they would blackmail the stockbrokers and then they would give all of that money after all their hard work um, to Taylor. And, you know, just another iteration of the cult harem thing. But that did not work, nor did it even get off the ground remotely. So this is the only reasonable plan they've really ever come up with at this point. It's not it's not like I wanted their plan to go well, but the more unfortunate it goes, the more people suffer. So as you'll see coming up, because this is where things start to get progressively darker, unfortunately. But it's part of the story. And um, I think we all kind of got to see where this is headed, right? So they go to one person's house. They're not home. They go to another person's house. It's an old couple, the Steinmans. Um whom, again, Taylor knew through some of his work in the past. They let him in. And 
this this couple didn't deserve any of this right they didn't deserve a single bit but also at the same time even if you knew someone in the past like through business engagements maybe don't just let them into your home right out of the blue maybe flesh the situation out a little bit but again it's not like they brought this on themselves or anything um but they did they just kind of once they saw it was taylor you know and i don't think words spread that far per se like i don't think unless you were involved with the mormon community that you really knew anything to do with taylor's ostracization from his former life so there might not have been a whole lot of red flags to pick up on and as far as i know he cleaned up well enough you know he wasn't like pock he didn't have like pock scars and missing teeth and a bunch of stuff yet so so they do let him in and basically him and his brother go about murdering these people like several times and what i mean by that is they bumble their way through every single execution attempt that they end up going through several and just putting these people through it over and over there's a, a slicing of the throat there's strangulation there's bashing someone's head against the ground until their skull splits open there's trying to drown them and then there's the old man finally dying of a heart attack after all these execution attempts um and i can't i can't remember how the woman dies but do we really even need to know at this point it's absolutely brutal and i uh, don was there too justin's girlfriend and um they get the people to sign over some checks um regardless of what they did before they murdered them financially um they end up having to rewrite a check so even though part of the plan was to get them to write checks in their own handwriting something happened um where that I, I believe they attempted and and it just didn't pan out for whatever reason so they have to write a check themselves and don spells their name wrong doesn't even attempt to change her handwriting and then they go and try to cash this check um and Don shows up to the bank. And also, while they're in the neighborhood, neighbors notice them, these kind of methed out people just like hanging out around the Steinman's house. So none of this checks out. And also, take one tiny step out of the story to explain the fact that um, they also picked up another half assed cult member, someone who was interested in the group, but was not like into all the metaphysics but they thought everybody was fun and rebellious and it was a woman named selena bishop who was the daughter of a, a like a really famous prominent blues musician in the bay area called elvin bishop so i don't know what kind of charisma taylor has but it seems like when he's not trying to become alistair crowley um he finds he works his way into some sort of groove and comes across as like some reasonably put together charismatic person either that or these women um just have very bad taste which i guess could also be the explanation but either way they obviously didn't deserve any of what was coming to them so selena bishop does not know that she is actually being kept in the group because she is going to be murdered and the reason they're going to murder her is because once they get the money from the steinmans they're going to put it into her account since she is like paperwork wise unrelated to them 
and they can then get it back to them. Do some laundering. None of it's very thought out, but they do have some steps that they're trying to enact. Um, But of course, this doesn't even work very well. But they end up having to kill her anyway, so they do. And meanwhile, the money is floating in the ether. The banks um, don't like the look of any of this. So, of course, they're not going to put any, any money into anybody's account. And now they can't find, no one can find the Steinmans. So, they have to look into that. So, none of this is playing very well. But there's three dead people now. And Taylor Helzer realizes that uh, Selena's mother has seen him before, so uh, they're going to get word, and the cops are at least going to look into Taylor as a possible suspect, unless he kills her mother, because that's not going to, that's just going to be where the trail ends. You're not going to have to cover up any more from there, and if you just do that one more thing, then it'll just be that perfect bow on top. No, fortunately not. Unfortunately for everybody, because. Selena's mother dies at their hands, and so does her boyfriend, who just happened to be spending a nice night with her in her apartment, or her house, whichever. It's really sick. And it makes my heart kind of heavy. I've had a fun time telling this story, just the, the total, just, like, gluttonous, destruction of a person's psyche just too much of a too much self-indulgence and it's kind of funny like when you hear a celebrity that's just a total douchebag finally get what they deserve like oh all those years of of uh of drugs and partying and just limitless self-indulgence didn't do you so well no kidding you poor thing and the same thing with this guy um but this is the part where it's it's genuinely terrible. So, um, but, it, it, okay, so now that we're done with the murders, we're going to be able to laugh at these guys a little more. Rest in peace to the victims. And moving forward, what they do to dispose of all these bodies, they chop them up, they put them in duffel bags, and they throw them in the Sacramento River. Now, I understand if some people, if you've never thought this through before, um, why would you need to? But if you were disposing of dead bodies, you might look into proper disposal methods. And if you did look into that, the first thing you would come across is weigh it down. That's why the mafia gave people cement shoes to sleep with the fish. You know, they just threw duffel bags full of body parts into the river and watched it sink like it wasn't going to be waterlogged and start decomposing and quickly rise to the surface and eventually be beached. Uh, which is what happened. So pretty damn quickly police found these duffel bags full of people. <sighs> and this is uh, the beginning of the end for the Helsers and their cohorts. Up until this point, these idiots hadn't really made any waves outside of a little bit in the Mormon community but now they are making national headlines and when so when I finally figured out when I talked to my friends who knew this guy knew of him and saw his face around growing up but weren't friends with him my friends were around when he was around um I started asking other people 
just people I worked with, people that I would bump into. Like, it wouldn't be like a, hey, how you doing? My name's Anthony. Have you heard about this cult? But once I got to know them a little bit, I'd pick their brain as a local. Hey, do you remember these weird people? They called themselves the Children of Thunder. Um, well, first, no one knew them by the Children of Thunder, especially not as it they were a thing. And no one really remembers their names or anything like that. But what they do remember, every single person remembers in that area as a local they all remember these body parts coming out of the sacramento river and you know i would i would stumble trying to explain some of these details to them every time it was someone struggling with a quizzical look like uh what are you talking about a cult i don't think you're talking about the right spot oh those bodies oh yeah 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 everyone remembers that so this was a big deal as it should have been and, you know, the, the Helsers are taken into custody eventually. It doesn't really take long at all. And they are definitely not treated lightly in court. You know, uh, they got... Uh, it, I'm not sure how long it took, but ultimately it was a fairly open and shut case. How much can you really argue with any of this once you get into the details of it? Because on top of it i'm not exaggerating the meth angle here these people were smoking meth the entire time like during all these murders they packed preloaded meth pipes to go with them to murder people so um yeah i mean all of it's bad you can't say that they weren't prepared that they didn't have intentions and that they weren't sick horrible people and it's come such a long way from the promising mormon origins the wholesome mormon origins of just God has chosen me to lead his people. It's really weird. It's like, if Joseph Smith is Mormon Superman, this is the Mormon Bizarro. <laughs> for real, man. Or woman, or person. For real person. Okay. Some more grisly details. Um, Justin Helzer, it was reported. Um, you know, so he, he hanged himself in prison few, uh, some years ago. And before that, it was reported that he was, he was, he had blinded himself in prison. He was haunted by the gaze looking into, uh, um, this old man's eyes when he killed him. And so what he did as penance was he took two big pens and stabbed out both of his eyes, which left him mostly blind and a little bit paralyzed too. And then eventually he finished the job with some bed sheets. And his brother Taylor still sits in prison to this day. He does not talk to any press. Probably never will. And hopefully he feels really embarrassed. Um, hopefully he feels remorseful, but I don't think it would go that far. I don't think a guy like that is necessarily capable of any remorse. So I just hope he feels like a like a piece of shit and severely embarrassed and um i hope he just probably not but i hope he's just one of those people that just scours the internet and like has he he gets like notifications um whenever to his account whenever someone um uploads anything about him to google and then he just reads it and listens to it and just fumes over it it's like god if i ever get out of prison i'm just going to smoke so much meth and kill this stupid podcaster radio host anthony tyler in the name of jesus the the son of my father 
Bring it on, man. Because <laughs> uh, uh, that's the thing is this guy, the whole time he was telling them that they were, he was telling his cult members and his brother that they were waging war against the devil by taking back the Mormon church and murdering these people so they could get the money to take back the Mormon church. It was all for the name of God. That's how insane these people were. So, I don't know. God and the devil are just symbols at that point. What are you even really doing? What good is your dogma done at that point? So, I don't know. Hopefully, hopefully um, Mr. Glenn Taylor Helzer has... A, a severely unfortunate time in prison involving a variety of other inmates and a variety of other uh, compromising scenarios. Um, and, you know, if he's just in solitary confinement, that's cool too. Hopefully he's just been staring at a wall for years now. I don't really know. I don't really know. Um, I don't know if anybody really knows. I don't think there's been any reports. I think he wants to keep it that way. So, um, essentially, that is the Children of Thunder cult. And this is an example of someone that wants that cult leader power so bad, but they have no follow-through. And if they did have any follow-through, it was all smoked away by drugs. So, I would advise you to do go the Jim Jones route instead of the Taylor Helzer route. You know, get into amphetamines like well after you've established your political connections and your uh, your community connections and you have your own building of worship and you have published literature out and you're boning a bunch of your um, followers and you start taking a shitload of amphetamines and wearing sunglasses to hide your bloodshot eyes and tremendous dark bags like someone's punched you in the face all night. Step by step, this is it's a systemic approach. You can't just go from regular person to cult leader in one night. Rome wasn't built in a day, people. All right, I'm joking. I'm not trying to hype anybody up to uh, start their own cult, obviously. But you know, you never know. There's probably one person out there that's like, "Yeah, nice, thanks." Sunglasses after um, the amphetamines and and not before and all right this is coming together now um so i'm not sure what we're going to talk about next week you know we still got some time here but this is definitely getting towards the wrap-up part so you know um some uh some wrap-up things real quick check out my website divemind.net you could check out my books hunt manual and dive manual uh getting in Dive Manual, Empirical Investigations of Mysticism, Hunt Manual, 21st Century Demonology, and Fortiana. You can go to my website and check out excerpts of each of those. Um, go check out some of my friends. Um, the Alchemical Mind Podcast, Dharma Junkie Podcast, uh, Where Did the Road Go? You know, uh, not looking at a list. That's all the shout-outs I'm going to give because I'm trying to move on. Um, and, you know, as 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 a little wrap up, I'll say this for fun. I was thinking about like segments that I could do for this show, and one of those segments, uh, I thought it would be fun to do something called "What the hell's going on with UFO Twitter?" hashtag UFO Twitter. But I'm I decided I'm not gonna do that. But what the premise would be is I would just go onto UFO Twitter, and I wouldn't give people's names, but I would just look at segments of people arguing with each other and I would just read those 
and and I would find the most outrageous stuff that I could find, which is not very hard on UFO Twitter. And we would just sit and collectively think with each other, oh my God, what is happening on UFO Twitter? And But those people dox like crazy, and they're very angry, and just really like always going at each other's throats. And I literally, I hardly ever see anything about a UFO. It's people arguing about who is stupider and who's smarter. And then there's uh, like a third of the people arguing with people about arguing. I don't understand why everyone's arguing all the time. This place would be so much better if you all just weren't so dumb and stupid. So, um, but again, they don't cross them because they will, they will, um, pretty much look at you like some sort of um, QAnon member looks at the reptilian Illuminati and they're going to go for your throat. So I respect your your tenacity, UFO Twitter. Leave me alone. I'm just going to ask once, what the hell is going on on UFO Twitter? Seriously. <laughs> and then I'll leave it at that. Um, but I would steer clear if I were you, if anyone doesn't know what I'm talking about, if you're unfamiliar... UFO Twitter is basically just a place where every uh, everyone on Twitter mingles to talk about UFOs in the type of setting that is very similar to uh, YouTube comments. And if you don't understand what that reference means, YouTube comments are pretty much the slags of all internet comments, except for maybe Pornhub. <laughs> um, so, so again, screw Taylor Helzer uh, and screw the Children of Thunder. And screw your self-deluded, narcissistic, meth-addled concepts of God and superiority. And have a little bit of humility for Christ's sake. What's wrong with you? Thank you everybody for listening. I really appreciate it. This has been a lot of fun. And um, uh, I hope you join me next week. I'm Anthony Tyler. This has been Black Hoodie Alchemy. Take care.